Hello ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to this episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen, head ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. And this week I'm joined by Pia Silva. Pia is from Worst of All Design, and she's going to be talking with us about how to make a badass brand. I'm never sure how to say badass in English, whether it should be badass because I'm from down south or badass. Anyway, we're going to challenge you. There's going to be some stuff in here about how to find the things about your brand which are going to be most compelling and most interesting to people. We're also going to be talking about how you can use aggression with your brand and be a bit more polarizing to identify and appeal to more of the people that you really want to serve and fewer of the people that you really don't want to serve. Pia's an absolute legend and I really encourage you to check out her website Worst of All Design because she is far more aggressive in her copy than most people. So check it out, have a good look and I really hope you enjoy this episode. As always, don't forget to head over to iTunes and Stitcher to subscribe and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. Anyway, enjoy the show. So welcome to the show, Pierre. It's great to have you on. So much for having me, Tim. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about brands. When most people think of brands, you know, they think of Coke and Apple and they think logos and colors. Maybe smaller businesses don't have the luxury of thinking about brands or don't think that they need to think about brands. What's your take on that? And what's the power of a good brand for smaller companies? Great question. And first of all, I get the question a lot when it has to do with Nike and Apple and Starbucks. That Those are the brand names that people bring up when they talk about brands. And as somebody who deals with small businesses, I can tell you that branding for large corporate companies is nothing like branding for small, especially service businesses, which is my focus. But small businesses, the strategy is so different. So I think it's really important to first recognize that they're not the same thing. For large corporate companies, a brand is backed up by millions and billions of advertising dollars. For small businesses, your brand is what decides if when people hear about your company or people that you meet, if they remember you, in that instant, because you don't have the money to keep advertising to them over and over again. So your brand is critical to getting everybody you interact with to notice you, remember you and talk about you to others. And I think it's it's almost I mean, it's not more important, but it is critical to the success of a small business. Okay, so let's compare a small business that doesn't really has never really thought about branding to one that has gone through the process that, that we'll go through today and, and has really kind of clearly defined their, their audience and their brand. What would the different experiences of, of these two companies be? What, you know, what, as an owner of a business who thinks about branding and an owner who doesn't think about branding, what, what would the difference be? So I've seen the difference personally, and I see it in lots of entrepreneurs' businesses that I encounter. When you don't have a brand, basically you spend a lot of time looking for sales and clients. So a lot of the people that I know who are lifelong members of networking groups, for example, to me, that is a representation of not having a clear, badass brand that is memorable and noticeable and referable. I love that. They have to keep putting themselves out there and keep staying top of mind. It's almost like they're using their presence to do the marketing strategy that large companies do. You know how Coca-Cola puts their logo just everywhere. They don't even need to have a message. You just want to keep seeing it. That's what 
That's what that strategy is. A small business that has a noticeable, memorable, badass brand, you can meet somebody once and they will remember you and think of you later. So every interaction that you have, every effort that you make to put your company out there is growing exponentially because people are remembering you from then on. They're thinking of you in very specific situations and are much more likely to refer to you. And you're easy to refer because you're easy to talk about. A small business that has a great brand, you're basically giving your potential referral partners bite-sized, interesting information that they can share with others. It's one thing, you know, I think, again, somebody without a brand, they might get referrals, but it's the referral is usually pretty weak. It's usually, oh, I know this great guy. You know, you should really work with him instead of someone else. Why? Well, because he's, you know, he's a nice guy. He's hardworking. That is a very different referral than, oh, my gosh, I know exactly who you need to work with because they do exactly what you need. That's an that's a powerful referral. And that means that those interactions, those referrals will close at a much higher rate. I love that. And anything that takes us away from having to do stupid networking <laughs> meetings. Yes. Oh my gosh. Please. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, at the gym I'm at, they have these networking meetings and it's like, a you know, they have this business section where all the people come in in the evenings wearing their shirts and their trousers and they hand each other business cards and then everyone <laughs> goes home and gets on with their lives. They just think, oh my God, I can't believe just such a horrible use of time. It's such a slog. And I did it for, I did it for a year and a half too. So I really have been there and it sucks. (laughs) sucks. (laughs) Get away as quickly as possible. Yeah, exactly. I think that your business, Worst of All Design, has a really good example of a brand and hopefully Exposure Ninja does as well. We have a bit of a personality and and don't bullshit, but is it, (laughs) It is is a kind of quick and easy definition for people to think about this. Is it about giving your company a personality just like a person would have a, a personality? Is that part of it, do you think? It's definitely part of it sometimes. I have, I've actually developed kind of, I've tried to make really concrete steps to looking at this. So I have kind of like a formula where there's a couple different ways that you can differentiate and you need at least two of them in order to have a differentiated brand. So really quickly, those four things might be your target market being very, very specific, your personality. Do you have a personality? But I define it as it has to be contrary to the prevailing personality in your industry. Just having a personality, if it's similar to other your you know competitors it's not going to differentiate you it's not going to make you stand out 3 and 4 i can't go into obviously in depth but 3 is having like a very clear process the way that you work and 4 is actually having like focusing in on one product main product that you sell and by product i'm i work with service businesses so i mean like kind of a service product but really getting micro focus on on how you sell your services and those four things any two of those the interaction of any two of those can make for a really powerful brand because it really hyper focuses what you do and your message such that people will very easily be able to refer you to others and and think of you in situations where they're speaking to exactly your ideal client I love that. So we'll we'll dig into those four things. We'll dig into those four things in 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 just a few minutes. I think there's sure. there's just so much stuff that we could talk about today. It's fantastic. So when you're looking at a business that you find, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see small businesses? You're you're working primarily with small and medium sized businesses in mm-hmm. service, right? 
Mm-hmm. What are some of the most common mistakes these guys are making? Uh, I think the most common mistake is, uh, and I am guilty, I was definitely guilty of this too, looking at competitors that they think are doing really well, whether or not they're actually doing well is a different story, but <laughs> looking at competitors they think are doing really well and then emulating them. Like, oh, that's that looks really great and looks like it's working, so I'm going to try that. And while I understand, especially when you're starting, you don't really know what to do. You kind of look at what other people are doing and you're trying to copy that. But to me, that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make because you're not going to be as good a version of that. You know, trying to do something that someone else is doing successfully, you're competing with someone who has already been doing it and they know why they're doing it, whereas you're doing it because it looks like it's working. So it's something that I think a lot of businesses do for a while, but as soon as you possibly can, my advice for that is start to look inward, start to look at your actual experiences with your clients and start to dissect what really has been working for you. You know, what, where did you excel? Where did, where did you work with a client where they excelled and what was that process like and what parts could you take and what parts could you leave and start to build your own thing out of it based on your experience, because that's where the unique positioning comes from. So the, the mistake is copying other, other businesses because you'll never compete doing their thing. You need to do your own thing. Okay. that sounds perfect. So all right, let's let's start digging into that and then helping people figure out how they can identify the things that that make them different. So you, you talked uh, you talked about audience and you talked about personality potentially as well and, and those four things at the start. So mm-hmm. how do people start picking out the things about their business that will form these key parts of their brand? Well, the first thing, I mean, one of the big questions I ask clients when I'm doing my initial deep dive with them is, you know, what's your favorite thing? Like, look at, look at your past clients. Who have your favorite clients been and why? And usually it's a combination of the client was really happy with the results. So they were easygoing and they they valued the work that they were getting and they got results from it. And then the other piece is that it went somewhat seamlessly. You know, usually clients that you enjoyed working with, you were on the top of your game. You know, you were able to show what you can really do and you were able to really give the value, the higher value, the highest value that you have to offer. So your favorite clients and where you really excel, that's where I like to start. The other piece of it that we haven't talked about yet, but is critical to me is what's the most profitable thing that you sell. So yes. <laughs> um, not just what do you like to do, but what's where are profits? And by profits, I don't mean what's the most expensive thing you sell. Quite the opposite. A lot of times I find service businesses specifically, their highest price services are actually some of their lowest profit services because at a higher price, people tend to, I mean, you know, again, I'm guilty. I've been guilty of this too. We want to give so much, especially to the clients who are paying us the most. And we end up giving so much that we, we give away our profits because we work ourselves to death for those people. Sometimes it's lower priced services that are actually more profitable. And if you entertain the idea of only doing high profit services, even if they're lower priced, lower gross price, you'll actually make more money in the end because you can do a lot more of those projects. So I look at what do you love to do and what do you excel at and where's the profit? and try to find the intersection of those two things. Okay, cool. So we're identifying the sort of work that if if we could pick one type of work to do forever, we would do that stuff. Is that right? 
yeah, that's definitely a good place to start. Okay, cool. And so, so we've done that and we've identified what our perfect job is if we're a service business or a perfect product is if we're an e-commerce company or something like that. What about the, the kind of personality? How do we identify if we have a personality which could form part of our brand? So uh, one of my favorite questions to ask for people to ask themselves is, what do you stand against? So I love this question because most branding agencies, they'll ask you, what do you stand for? You know, and the answer is always pretty, it's pretty lame, you know, because people (laughs) are like, oh, I stand for like great customer service and I'm like transparent and honest. It's like, blah, blah, blah. Everybody says that. What do you hate about your industry? You know, what, what's wrong with your industry? What are you trying to solve? A lot of people go into business for themselves, having done whatever it is that they're doing somewhere else. And we all know if you work somewhere, you always see the problems. So what are those problems? I think that starting there, even if your brand, I mean, I know we're worst of all designs, so we we go all the way with this, but you don't have to have a negative personality, but that's a great way of figuring out your positioning in the market. And it can be really power, a really powerful way to embrace your personality. So I'll give you a quick example. We did a financial a financial advisory company a couple of years ago, actually, they wanted, they left Merrill Lynch to work with uh, young professionals. So like 20, 30 somethings. And they were like, oh yeah, we want to be like cool and hip. But when we met them, it was like, they looked, they still looked kind of Merrill Lynchy. They just kind of said, oh, for, you know, they, they had a few cool words in their, in their copy, but they weren't embracing it. So when I asked them, what do you stand against? They said, Oh, we stand against everything about Merrill Lynch and corporate, you know, they don't, they don't help young professionals. They only help people with $500,000 or more in liquid assets. And we really want to help this younger demographic. So, you know, by really realizing that I said, well, look, everything you've got looks like Merrill Lynch. You're not being the anti Merrill Lynch. So the rebrand was them embracing that personality. And I mean, we renamed, we made their, uh, their newsletter called Financial Cliff Notes, Get Your Financial Shit Together. And when I first told them that, they were like, you know, like, oh, we can't say that (laughs) in the financial industry. And I said, but you have to get, you have to understand that your personality is anti-financial industry. So you really have to embrace this. And since then they have gone all the way with it and have had tremendous success with that. But they they first had to embrace that personality. And I just want to make a note because I said before, it's really important to me if personality is going to be part of what differentiates you, it has to be different from your industry. So their brand is really cool and hip. And that's very different from general financial firms. However, if they were an ad agency, their brand wouldn't be that different. In fact, their brand has kind of that cool ad agency look. So it wouldn't really count as being a like a differentiated brand in the ad agency world, but in the financial world, it is. So it has a lot to do with relativity based on the industry you're in and your competitors. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Like if we wanted to stand out with our personality in the ad industry, then I guess we'd turn up everywhere wearing suits and with you know, <laughs> shiny shoes and all of that because everyone is pretty casual and chilled out and everyone's ninjas, right? (laughs) Right. I I mean, and think about it, like it could be kind of hilariously amazing for an ad agency to go super corporate, like to almost like a funny degree, like that would stand out. Like that would be hilarious. So, you know, play with it, have fun with it. So for a lot of people listening, the, it's going to sound like, oh yeah, that's a nice idea, but that's a bit scary. 
they're going to find a reason why they don't have to have a personality which really stands out in their market. And I'm guessing these financial guys, there was probably a little bit of a pushback when you told them to call it Get Your Shit Together, right? So how do you get over (laughs) that? How do you help them overcome that? Yeah, good question. How do I, besides bullying them? Yeah, just bullying them into submission. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. So my company is called Worst of All Design and we, uh, our website says badass brands without the bullshit. Now, by the way, we don't put, these are just two examples. Like most of our clients, we're not necessarily putting curse words in it. That's not what, that's not what I mean. Um, but we tend to attract people who are at least open to being different. And I'm always pushing clients to go a little farther than they're comfortable with, because if it's comfortable, it's not different. You know, if, if you're saying something, I had a client call me the other day and say, I want to write these articles, but feels like everything's been said already. And I don't want to just write something generic. I said, the reason you feel like that is because you don't feel, you don't have the guts to write what you really think, because Mm. what you really think people might, some people might not like it, but that's where the power of your brand comes in. You know, I say, you have to be ready to be disliked by some, if you want to be loved by others. And there are plenty of people out there all the time that tell me, oh, worst of all design is the worst name. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You're just not my client. Like people also call me up and they're like, I love your name, you know? And that's what I want. I want that powerful repel and attract. That's badass branding. Yeah. There has to be some hate if there's going to be some love, doesn't there? Yes. Yes. And that's scary. I get it. That's that's scary. So I, how do you get over that? I don't know. Do some <laughs> mindset work. Yeah. Or just look at the fact that someone like Donald Trump can become president. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Very polarizing. <laughs> yes. Right. So uh, and your brand is f- safe to say, I hope you would not disagree, but the copy on your website is really, really aggressive, isn't it? For a branding company. I yeah. love that. I Thank absolutely you. love that. It's so <laughs> like, what, I, obviously I interview a lot of people for the, for the podcast and we talk to thousands and thousands of businesses. And in my head, I have a, an image of your company, which is kind of, it's like an image that I'd have of a person that I know it's, it's fitting in that part of my brain. It's like, I know your company's personality, or I think I know your company's personality just from being on your website and looking at your copy. That's really, really interesting, isn't it? I think oh. You're, you're kind of you're getting out of the out of the crowd there and it gets to a place where uh, I guess a little like Exposure Ninja when we're talking to clients we find that actually they don't they, they don't compare quotes from different companies because in their heads we are the option for them and then it's just either we are the option or there is no option I guess that's what you're kind of looking to do with the brand you're kind of trying to separate yourself from everybody else so that you are so clearly differentiated your customers wouldn't really even necessarily know where to go if they weren't going to come to you. Absolutely. And that is another strategy that any small business can operate or, you know, try to create, which is the situation where you're putting yourself in a category of one, you know, Mm. some people will love us or hate us, but when they find us, they're not, we're not easy to compare. And, and that's, I think that's really a goal for any small business. That's my goal for, for clients that I work with. Let's say that somebody's got an idea for their, for their brand and and they've got an idea for personality, which is a little bit edgy. Is there a way that they can test that or research that in their market to know if it's going to be a good fit or do they just go, ah, screw it. We're just going to go for it. 
That is a great question. That okay. So I have my own personal philosophy on this, which is, and this and this really is specific to small service businesses. Again, that's why I focus on them because I can say this unequivocally that this will be true. I can't say this will be true necessarily for a, a much larger firm. I don't like asking for like the peanut gallery's advice <laughs> on things, and I'll tell you why. People give very different feedback when they're asked for feedback versus when they're ready to buy something. That's one. Two, you don't know who you're asking and if they're your right market. And I think what's more powerful about really embracing whatever is authentic to you is understanding that there are so many people in the world. And if you're really, if you're really putting your personality out there in a strong way, your people are going to find you. And that's, that's more powerful than you trying to appeal to a group of people because it, it's just a stronger bond because it's more authentic to you and your people will see that authenticity and be drawn to it in a much stronger way. So I don't like to ask and take surveys because then you're basing it on what other people are saying and it, it becomes kind of a watered down version. Again, because I work with such small service businesses and I'm looking to sell high profit services, high profit productized services, I don't need that many clients. So if you think about it, you know, a lot of people that I meet and work with, they're, they're just struggling to get by, to get these clients. Okay. Well, what if you could narrow it down where you only needed one or two clients a month and you were making three times as much as you're making now, you know, you can be much more specific about your brand and much more extreme about it because Getting those couple of clients a month is much easier than trying to get maybe the five or 10 or however many you need to make even less money. I mean, it's just, it's ratios, you know, Mm. fewer people, higher profit, stronger relationship. That's the world I'm trying to play in and, or I want my clients to play in. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. I think really interesting what you said about people, uh, about asking the, the market for feedback and asking people for feedback and how when when people are being asked in a survey, they'll give totally different answers. We do a lot of um, we do a lot of user testing on websites, and, and one of the questions we used to ask people is, "Do you trust this website enough that you would buy from it?" And everybody always says, "Yes, yes, I trust it." Yes, I trust. <laughs> and but the hey, the conversion rate is not one hundred percent. So what's up with that? The conversion rate is two percent. So clearly, fifty people. For everyone right. who does, there's fifty who doesn't, right? So obviously, that's uh, very different. You talked about productizing and charging higher prices. Obviously, we're talking specifically about service businesses here. Mm-hmm. So, e-commerce businesses, stay with us. We'll get to you. <laughs> um, but for product business, uh, for service businesses, what's the process that you go through helping these guys to productize? Because that's been we work with a lot of service businesses too, and that's one of the things which it's really frustrating when you're working with a company and they can't really enunciate clearly exactly what it is that you they do you just want you just want to say on a page this is what we do this is who we do it for and this is what's going to happen when instead it's all kind of woolly and yeah we can help you in mm-hmm. these sorts of areas and it's it's quite frustrating to write copy for that so how do you help people <laughs> get through that and come up with this widgetized productized version of their services yeah i mean it's it's very similar to f- you know, figuring out where their brand is. And I think when you productize a service, your brand can really center around that as well. Your messaging can be a part of that. Again, I like to look at where 
the entrepreneur serves at their highest value. So what what do you do best? And and actually, uh, I usually say, forget the clients for a second. Just tell me if you in an ideal world, if all your clients could be one ask for one kind of service, what would it be? And then we kind of build backwards. Okay. Like you want, I mean, for me, this is, this is what I do in my perfect world. I get to work with small service businesses, usually solopreneurs. And I want to take everything from their business strategy and their messaging. I basically want to take over their control of their, their whole brand. I want to help them organize it in a way that's going to be super profitable and super effective. And I want to do all of that in an intensive manner. So Every client is different, but we are usually doing it from top to bottom, the strategy, the messaging, the positioning, the design of the logo, the website, all of that. And I don't even really give them a choice. I tell them, this is what you need and this is how it's going to work. And the, and then we, and then based on that, we do some things with pricing to put it at a price point that makes sense for the amount of time that you're spending. And what it does is, first of all, when you have one product, essentially, I mean, usually there's a couple of levels, but if you have one central product and you do it over and over and over again, every time you do it, you get better at it. And every time we do it, we tweak it a little bit and we, we add, we add value to it and we see ways that we can make it a little more efficient and a little more effective. And every time you're able to do that, you can increase the price. So over time, you're getting better and better at this thing. You're increasing the price when you're only selling essentially one main productized service. You don't have to write proposals. So <laughs> that's people's probably favorite yeah. part of it because that's I consider that free work, no free strategy sessions, no free proposals. It's like, this is how we work. We do it all the time. We're awesome at it. This is how much it costs. This is the process. We're going to take care of you. And at the end, this is what you can expect. And it, it makes it so much easier for people to buy it. And it makes you the superstar because you really are amazing at that thing. What I don't like about people doing customized work is they're kind of reinventing the wheel every single time. Even if it's similar projects, somehow it, it seems like there's always pieces that, that change and it just it, it elongates the amount of time spent on it. And it's very hard to have profit in projects like that. So that's why I think productized services can really help service, small service businesses um, really amp up their profitability. And over time, it really gives you the opportunity to keep increasing your profits. Yeah. And I think it's important to say as well that just because you're productizing something doesn't mean that everybody is getting the same thing. Not right? at you, all. It's Not just at all. having a clear process for us. One of, and, yeah. and for me as a company owner, when the, the thing that really helped Exposure Ninja grow is people kept saying, it's all about systems. It's all about systems. And I was like, yeah, 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 it's all about systems for everyone else, right? For me, it's all about, yeah, for us, it's all about doing this individual stuff. But then when we figured out that actually we're going to you know, SEO, something that's super broad, loads of different ways that you could do it. But we've put everything into clear packages. And it means that you can build systems around that. Yes, of course, there are different things that come along in the way and every client's slightly different and stuff. But you can build that into your systems, can't you? Just having these clear products just allows you to build a steady process. If you want to train people, you can train them to follow the process. And it just makes everything nicely, clearly defined for you internally and externally. So I think there's a lot of operational benefits to this way of working as well. Yeah, absolutely. And people trust systems. 
people trust process. You know, if you have this process, it means we do this all the time. You know, we you're in our process now. You're in our hands. And I think that as a buyer, that's what I'm looking for. I don't want to buy an unknown. I want to buy like a tried and true uh, service from somebody because I believe that at the end, I'm going to get what I'm looking for. Exactly. There's, I think there's something very comforting about knowing that the company you're dealing with is very organized and has everything under control and sees the plan. Yeah, <laughs> Versus yeah absolutely. Just, hey, let's see what happens. Let's go. Yeah. Ready? Strap in. <laughs> and, and, and I was with you. I mean, it sounds like you used to do the kind of the custom thing. And I still hear people, I mean, obviously I hear people say, oh, no, no, everything's custom as if that's a great thing. And it's like with, like you just said, with your process, within the process, it's custom because every client is different. With every branding client we do, it's it's unique to that company, but the process is the same. And yeah. that is, that builds trust. That's the key, isn't it? So is you key. mentioned talk, uh, you mentioned pricing and how having this clear process and having, you know, proven track record going through this process allows you to charge more. How should people figure out how much to charge? Because particularly for service businesses, that's a, it's a really tough question, isn't it? They just look at their competitors and say, well, they're slightly more experienced than us, so we're just going to charge what they charge, but maybe slightly less. Right. Is, is there a better way of doing this? <laughs> I think so. Um, so I developed this formula called, it's 50-25-25. So my goal is, let's say, let's assume 40-hour work weeks. My goal is that you are making all the money you need to make off of clients working at a maximum of two weeks a month. So 80 hours a month is paid client work. So right there, you can figure, you know, you can do the math and figure it out. Like if I need to make $10,000 every month, then, you know, this is how, depending on how many client, how many hours you spend per client project, you know, you can do the math to figure out that's exactly what I need to be charging. So I kind of use that as a baseline because the other 50% of the time, I like to say 25% of that time should be in, invested back in your business, building value, you know, increasing the value of what you do, whether that's through making your systems tighter or through marketing efforts that are building your brand and brand awareness, like, like writing and speaking and, and those kinds of efforts. And then the last 25% is there to do whatever you want. So you can use that last 25% of your time, either building more value in your business because you want to get there faster. You want to increase your prices faster. You can use that 25% to do another couple of client projects and make more money. Or you can use that 25% of your time to go on vacation and do whatever you want. But I think that that is the first goal that you want to get to because that 50, 25, 25 breakdown means that you have you're uh, in a great place to continue to increase your profitability. Now, when I first do this with clients and I and I price their things accordingly, sometimes they are the price that they need to be at is drastically different <laughs> than where they are. So that is a goal price for them. But even if that's the case, once you understand that's the goal price, you can start to do things to m increase the value of your products. So you can increase the value two ways. You can increase the value of your brand and, and what you're offering. And you can also decrease the amount of time you spend. So you can do more projects in the same amount of time. And so it's really a dance of doing those two things, but that's, uh, you know, I think it's important to 
define what that gold price is. And that's how I do it using two weeks out of the month. I mean, you're not actually doing it in two weeks, but using 50% of your working hours on paid client work should pay for all of your, you know, how much money you need to make. I love that. I love having a formula. That's really cool. Although I want to find out where these 40 hour work weeks are coming from. <laughs> it's been a few years since I've had one of them. Oh, well then you and I should talk. I'll get you, I'll get you in this system. I, d- I don't know what else people do other than work. I wouldn't know, uh, I wouldn't know what to do with that time. <laughs> well, um, don't, don't get me wrong. I work much more than that. Most of that time is spent though you know, I'm releasing my book in, in March. Like I'm doing things because I see how much they're going to yeah. up level me. And that's what I want you. If you're going to be working more than 40 hours a week, I want all of it to be building value for future profits and, and future value in the yeah. world. No, I, I, I completely get that. Cool. And, and you guys, I mean, this is a question we get probably twice a day. You guys have your prices on your website, which is oh, yeah. quite a bold move. <laughs> And your prices are also compared to, say, when when most people think about branding, they're probably not thinking about spending the sort of money that you might be charging. They're probably thinking, I'm going to go on to 99designs and get a logo for $99 or something. And that's the extent of their thought around that. So really bold, but I know it's, it's from a very considered place. So what's your take on the whole prices on the website versus contact us for a price? Uh, so there's two parts to it. Oh, this is what I was going to say before. And I'm going to say it again. Uh, <laughs> the reason that our the copy on our website is the way that it is. And the reason that we put our prices on the site as well is because I believe in being your brand. So a lot of people will say what their brand is. Like a lot of people like to say, you know, transparency is a really important thing to us. And I say, well, stop saying you're transparent and just be transparent. So to me, prices on our website is is being transparent. There's nothing to hide here. This is how much it is. And if you don't like it, that's okay. You know, but, but we are who we are and and we know what we're worth. And it's the same thing with the copy. It's like, I don't want to say a lot of agencies, you know, it's like, we're, we're different, innovative stuff. It's like, I don't want to say that. I just want to be different. And you, people get that we're different (laughs) by looking at our site. We don't need to say we're different and we'll make you different. And that's a, that is so so core to what I preach and what I encourage everyone to do. Really think about if these, these are your values and this is what your company is all about. How can you just not say any of that and do things to demonstrate it? So that's one reason we put the prices on the site. And the other reason is because it just cuts through the bullshit. You know, it's if if $15,000 is too much for is way too much for you, I don't need to spend time on the phone with you. You know, <laughs> like I, I have other things that I need to do and, and I don't want to waste your time either. Um, yeah. And there's lots of, you know, I write lots of articles and I give away tons of free content. If we're out of your price range, I still have a lot to give you, but it's but it's not my time because your time is the most valuable thing you have. So I only want to spend my time talking to people who are actually in the realm of possibility of hiring us. And I know, I know people don't like to do it, you know, and it's not like I push everybody into putting their prices on their site, but for us, it was really core to who we were. Um, And it's made a world of difference. I bet. So, I mean, I guess for you, if the, if, if someone's got a very, whether they have a reasonably small team or they don't have a sales team, then I guess pre-qualifying those inquiries is super important because there's nothing more 
frustrating than getting a hundred inquiries and you're like try you're trying to deal with them and then you find that only say three of them are even are even qualified potential customers. That's such a waste of time. For companies that maybe want to build the value of their services through the messaging and through the sales process because they have a sales team, for example. Mm-hmm. Like for example, we decided that a lot of people who come to Exposure Ninja end up spending more with us than they would have initially thought was possible. And, you know, when a small company comes to us and they end up spending, you know, more money than they thought would ever be possible on on SEO. The reason that they've been able to do that is because we've taken them through a process during the sales period, which has shown them the value of, of what we do. So I guess it's the pricing thing on the website is more about does it fit with your brand image um, rather than is it fixed rules on this stuff? I yeah. guess. No, no. Well, actually, that's a great point. And um, there's a there's a strategy for that, too, Tim. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so so the other the other angle that I had mentioned was the sales process. And a part of that is like we have all our prices on our site, but people basically we have two steps to our process. We do something called a brand shrink. Everybody does it. Everybody has to do it. It's um, $9.50, you know, $1,000. And it's an interview. And that's where we get to the heart of what somebody's brand is. And I deliver a plan to them. I deliver essentially like, this is what your brand needs to focus on. This is what you should do. This is what you should stop doing, et cetera. And then at the end of that, I tell them, this is what you need. And that will be this package. You know, that's the one day brand up. That's the two day brand up. It's $15,000, whatever it is. And they can choose to go forward with it or not. But what it's doing is what you're saying, which is the first step is where I actually figure out what they need. And I get to really show them what's possible and, and dissect because I would never let somebody choose, oh, I want the one day brand up. I I mean, I have people say that to me and I say, well, I'll be the judge of that. You know, I know what you I know you don't know what you need. So let me see. And then I'll tell you. But so the strategy is that I call it a lead product. My brand shrink, that interview, that's a lead product. And I do this with a lot of clients. And it, it's, I mean, it, it has changed businesses with just this lead product. Basically, it's the first step in your process. It's a paid it's a paid service that has a uh, deliverable at the end that is valuable. So it's not like, let me audit your stuff or like, let me tell you what your problems are. It's like, let me solve a problem for you and give you a solution and you can pay for it and you can be done at the end of that. But what that allows you to do is get paid to demonstrate a ton of value and to really understand the client's problem so you can present the solution And in that, you know, in that presentation of the solution, you can then upsell them to whatever you want. So again, we don't have to, you know, another company could do what we're doing and not put the second prices on the site. You know, we put them all there, but you wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have to, but that first price point I have found that, and I've had, um, I've had a lot of clients tell me that people have bought things more quickly because they see that first price and it, it, it's, easy for them to buy because they puts Mm. it in context. They don't have to like talk to someone and they're not like nervous. They have no idea how much it's going to cost. You know, sometimes I price people's lead products at like $500, you know, any, any business owner can spend $500 to like get some good information and not feel like it was a waste, you know? So it gets them in the door and then you really get to demonstrate your value. I love that. So this lead product is a thing that's relatively easy for people to buy and allows you to build a bit of a relationship and recommend something that's higher priced to them. So 
Would the lead products, do you ever find yourself recommending free lead products? Never. I'm so anti-free <laughs> anything <laughs> that has to do with your time. All the free stuff, I think all the free stuff you should give out should all be things that can continue to give you value. So articles, you know, uh, video recorded trainings, things like that. That's great free stuff to give out. But your time is valuable and clients won't value uh, your work as much if they don't pay for it. I just think people value stuff they pay for and you should never give it away for free. This is true. Well, we've built, it's kind of an interesting one. We've built our entire business on this free review thing that we do for people. And um, (laughs) it's it's been quite, I mean, we've- it's working. Yeah, so this free review thing's been kind of interesting because on the one hand, we've done thousands of these things and it's Mm -hmm. cost us a phenomenal amount of money and mm-hmm. training people to do them and how we've got people who basically spend their entire lives doing these free reviews for people so there's no right. I mean so yeah of course they turn into enough clients that it's worth it for us but we've always wondered like should we be charging for these things or should we be charging you know particular people for them if they have certain you know revenue targets or something like that because the feedback on the reviews is is really good and we get loads of reviews on Facebook for them and stuff so Yes, yeah, it's, it's a kind of interesting one. Well, um, Tim, it's not like it doesn't work, but I would challenge you to try it where you're charging for it, but it, it would have to, it can't be a review in that case. You know, if it's a review, like I said, you can't charge for a problem. You have to charge yeah. for an answer. So you would have to finagle it a little bit so that all this work produces something that they can walk away with and feel like they got their money's worth, you know? Yes. Um, but and again, like it might work the way it is. I wonder how much more it would work if you charged, you would get fewer of them, but probably the people who paid would be more likely to buy at the end because they're much more bought in. So, you know, it's just something to test. Maybe yeah, totally. No, that's interesting. <laughs> what, what we've ended up doing is having, we've got the free review as like the lead generator. And then we have a uh, we have an optional paid upgrade so people can upgrade to get more information and to get a plan on the back end that's reasonably popular and then once they once we do that then we then have a kind of discovery session which i guess is the equivalent of your brand shrink which is a paid thing and then that would sell them into a into an ongoing service so yeah maybe we need to we need to test removing gotcha. that free step scary but hey i see well no but maybe it's like maybe that free step to do the lead gen is just something that doesn't require people's time you know yes like how how could you do it so that it wasn't because it could just be duplicated over and over again again i i you've got a whole team of people and while i i 100 percent know these strategies work with very small service businesses i I don't implement them because I don't work with larger companies like yours. So it's, I would only suggest to you that you AB test it. If you were like a a three person team, I would say, stop that right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Pia, this has been amazing. Really, really good stuff. How do people find out more about you? And if they're interested in working with you, what should they do? Yeah, well, you can obviously check out our website is worstofalldesign.com, just like it sounds. Um, but also, I am coming out with a book on March 16th, 2017 called Badass Your Brand. 
Um, so you can just go to badassyourbrand.com and uh, check it out. You can download some awesome resources, free chapter, and read more about it. And I really go into depth about all of these ideas and how to apply them to your business um, in that book. So I encourage you to check it out. Love it. And I've had a look through the book as well. It's fantastic. So congratulations. It's going to be huge. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. And don't forget to tune in next week. Head over to the iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you found this episode to leave a rating and subscribe. Thank you very much, Pia. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks so much, Tim. Bye.